Hey Space Watchers, this is Space Cafe Radio, your channel about trends, cool people and real conferences. I'm Thorsten, publisher of Spacewatch.global. In this review, I'm talking with Alex Fielding on Hawaii Island. Alex is the CEO and co-founder of Private Space that came out of stealth mode this year. The sky is no longer the limit, we can read on their website. Our regular contributor and host of the Space Café Moriba Sox Populi, Dr. Moriba Ja, joined their team as Chief Scientific Advisor late last year. So many things to talk about. Let's roll it. Alex, what have been retrospective, your personal highlights in the last 12 months in the space sector? I think that for much of my life, we talked about the commercialization of space. And especially of low Earth orbit, this, this place where there was so much opportunity, but not really a lot going on. And what we saw was really a focus on pervasively lowering launch cost to enable people to get to space more affordably. And in, in my mind, the most exciting thing is that the launch companies have disrupted the cost so much through competition, through innovation, that what we've done is we've built the interstate highway system of space. Now we can get there very fast, we can get there very affordably, but we didn't build the infrastructure yet. So I'm very excited that this has created a new era of innovation because while the launch innovation is going to continue and the cost on launch is going to continue to reduce and the efficiency is going to continue to increase, now we have an opportunity to open the door for everything else, not just in near-Earth space, but also in lunar space, cislunar space, going to Mars, going to other places, this opens the door. And once the door is open, once Pandora is out of the box, you can never put it back. And uh, I'm very, very excited about that. I, I think of everything that we've done, this is the thing that is, is going to be the, the pivotal factor in everything else. It's interesting that you say that, because I would have placed a bet that you would talk about that you guys came out of stealth mode. Not fully, but a little bit, so we can have an imagination of what Privateer is doing. Is Would you like to talk about it or a bit what you have in mind? Because for me, what I know so far, it's fantastic. And I would like to share that with our audience. Well, and keep in mind that there's a cheeky aspect of this, which is that now that the launch cost is so low, all of the services are missing, right? We don't have the gas stations in space yet. We don't have the, the restrooms in space. We don't have the farms. We don't have the Mickey D's. So we're missing all of the critical core infrastructure. And we have so many problems that were always there. But now there's uh, a magnifying glass. There's a lens on how bad the problems are in low Earth orbit specifically, because the race is on there more than anywhere else. For the first time in my life, we've seen a doubling of space assets in a 12-month period in orbit assets. That's incredible. What does that mean for the future of humanity and how do we get our heads around how to solve that? When we started Privateer, we started with uh, a whole host of problem sets. And it's a very target-rich environment in space when there's so many things that are broken. It's a wonderful time. If you like solving problems, now's the time because the problems are so many and so huge and so terrifying. And the, the delta between science fiction and science fact in space is bigger than ever. The public perception is that we have teleportation and replicators. And the reality is we don't even know where things in lowered space are with accuracy in real time. We can't persistently or pervasively track our own space assets. We can't reliably rendezvous with them. We can't even see the things that can hurt us the most. 
we we can't reliably see even space debris smaller than 10 centimeters on a constant basis. There's people who will tell fibs and say, I can see it. Yeah, you can see it for a second, but it's gone. Where did it go? These challenges, they lead to in-orbit servicing challenges. How do you refuel something? How do you station keep something? How do you insure something? How do you tug tow something? How do you actively rendezvous with objects in space when you don't even agree at the start as to where they are? All of these challenges need to be solved urgently, and we need serious people to take a really serious lens on not just, I think we, I think there's some agreement that these problems all exist. That's great. And there's people who are going to point out all the time that these problems exist. Great. Now we need serious people to work on solving those problems and put resources and energy and real a level of innovation behind it to catch up with what we've done on launch. Privateer is in that space of building the Google Maps or the ways of space and really creating a platform to enable the space application developers of the future to come use our platform, use our resources and use our consumption based APIs with our partner network. So that it's not just us in the game. I mean, yeah, we're providing some things, but it's about everyone in the community bringing something to the party and realizing that we are really in this together. And now more than ever, that's, that's critical. Just hearing you, I would say for me, one of my top personal things our last year was to see that the G7 countries recognized space is critical. Space sustainability is an issue. And I think just for me, that was the first eye-opening. It reached now our top political level, and that's great. But we know how long it takes then when something reached political level to come into action. I absolutely admire you for what you guys are planning to do. Coming back to the last year, what are your personal top three things? There's more bad than good. I agree with you 100%. There's a, a renewed lens on the holistic nature of planet Earth. And what I mean by that is that we as humans have polluted the Earth, we've polluted the ocean, we've polluted the atmosphere, and now we're polluting space as an extension of the atmosphere. And until we as humans living on this planet and sharing it realize that this is one holistic ecosystem and that it, you can't mess up one thing without impacting the others. Space is one of those pieces that can help us solve for the damage we've done to the others. And if we ruin it now by making it inaccessible or so dangerous that it becomes very hard to use it, we've done ourselves a huge disservice. We, we've also had an environment of a tragedy of the commons. You know, um, Waz and I started this company 20 years ago called Wheels of Zeus, building GPS tracking devices. It was kind of Apple tags 15 years too early. And we used to joke that someday we would be the first space sanitation engineers riding in the back of a garbage truck in space and tossing satellites into the compactor. Because when we started Wheels of Zeus, there were roughly 2,200 things in space and half of them were trashed 20 years ago. This is one of those cases where apathy and empathy are truly at total odds. And we see this more and more. We saw this with the recent Russian ASAT test on Cosmos 1408, where the World Press Corps descended on them for maybe 12 hours. There was a little bit of curiosity, but there was no actual empathy. People believe uh, sometimes that space is for billionaires. It's for people that are not them. And they don't realize that space is already a big part of their lives, from agriculture to climate to navigation to services that we all use and consume. If that stuff went away, we would live in a different world tomorrow. 
So I, I think there's a lack of empathy there, and I, I think there's also a lack of empathy towards astronauts, cosmonauts, people who are in space that are doing fantastic science, really wonderful work. We're all working alongside each other. We're doing things to help each other. Here we had seven people aboard the space station in fear of their lives as a result of the ASAT attack. Certainly not business as usual. I, I mean, nearly sleeping, if you could call it sleep, in an escape vehicle. While every hour and a half, your comrades go in and out, waiting to know if you're going to survive. Where's the human element to that? And what are we doing as people habitating this planet to think about what that means for our futures, especially if our futures are space-based, right? If we are to become a space-faring civilization, if we are to ultimately someday get off this rock, how do we do it? And, and how do we explore the environment outside of planet Earth? And will we use those resources to help repair the damage done to this world? We should be able to do that without doing further damage. <laughs> we should be able to, just as we've messed it up one step at a time, we should be able to unwind that damage one step at a time. It won't be solved overnight, but we must work on solving it. My takeaways for the last year have been positive in that there's so much innovation and so much real disruption in the space economy. My other kind of observation is that we don't yet, as humans on the planet, have the empathy for what this is doing to our future and what it's doing to people who are doing work on our behalf in space. And that's really sad. There was so much positive things that we have seen. Can you give us some examples of what touched you most in your own area? I think that the future is really bright. And, and the, the benefit to all of us is that now that we, as average citizens of planet Earth, in, in our lifetimes, I know this was the hope during the first space race, that in our lifetimes, we will have the opportunity to go to see the stars, to visit them. We will have that different, that change in perspective that almost everyone who goes to space claims that they've had, and I believe them. That there's, a, there's an instant mind shift when you have that radical new perspective. It must change the way you feel about your neighbors and your friends and us as a one world. So I think there's, I think there's positives coming there. I think there's also positives in terms of what these new technologies that are going to space can do to help our civilization on planet Earth escape some of the things that have prevented other civilizations from scaling successfully. Because we are not using our resources effectively. And what I mean by that is that we are still strip mining planet Earth in a weird way. We use the resource, we don't renew the resource. So space, I'm a big believer that this is the place that will come from. And I'm a big believer that what we're doing in space will definitely improve life on Earth. And that has never been more true than now. Because in the past, it was all about governments. And now it's much more about people. And yeah, sure, it's much more about commercial companies. But those commercial companies are, are very motivated to make sure that their customers remain healthy and pay the bills. There's a, a layer in the middle that is hard to define, but it has to do with farming and agriculture and environment and all of the other things that, especially if you look at the UN kind of millennium goals, almost every one of those goals can be better improved by space. And now we have a chance to do it. And we've never had that chance before because the cost to get there was too high and the technology was underdeveloped. Even at Privateer, we're putting up a space-based constellation to do SSA, to do space safety, sustainability, really to, to look at the traffic management, to look at domain awareness. What do, what do these things mean? Why are they different? They all connect to how do we view space from space in addition to how we view space from the ground. And how can that help us continue to grow and service space safely and sustainably the way that we, we really must? Because if you look at the total objects in space, maybe we're tracking 30 some odd thousand things that are bigger than 10 centimeters. 
And let's just say that maybe 8,000 of those things are active assets. That means the bulk of the things that we look at in space are trash. And even though they haven't blacked out our ability to do space observation yet, when you look at the images coming from optical telescopes and from other things looking at the sky, we now have little lines cut through images from pieces of trash disrupting certain observation stations. That's embarrassing. It, it was not intended. It's an unintended negative consequence. Now we can go and clean that up. And there's many companies that really warmed my heart that are working on that, not just with a commercial lens, not just we must make money. It's we must do the right thing. And let's hope that we make enough money to sustain a fantastic business doing it. Uh, and part of that is cleanup of space, which certainly uh, I would point to Astroscale doing fantastic work, ClearSpace, others doing these types of things. And I think there'll be more soon. But the, the flip side is we also have to keep space as agnostic as possible. We have to keep the state, nation-state lens from corrupting that so that we can continue as a people to see space as something that we have stewardship over. You know, we all look at the sky at night. We all see these beautiful stars. We see these planets. And that's for all of us. That's not for one nation. That's not for one particular. That's, that's ours. There is a lot there that is really warming my heart. And I think Privateer is an opportunity to enable those services and that safety of space in a way that's never been done before. But don't get me wrong, we're not a nonprofit, right? We do intend to make a, a good business off of supporting the services in space, but we want to do it in a very mindful, responsible way. We want to be good conservators and stewards of space. And to do that, we have to have that lens from day one. Everything that we do, our software, our space-based constellation, how we manage that lens is how is this a good thing for us on planet Earth? How does this help keep space safe, sustainable, accessible to everybody while we grow it? Thank you very much for these open words. I'm very curious how you will answer the next question, and that is, What does the space industry needs most? There's so much that's broken, it's hard to pick the thing that I want most. I, I don't think money is a, is a problem at all, in the sense that where there's opportunity, there's always resources, because there's always, there will always be people and, and companies that will gamble on future economies. If there wasn't, uh, there would be no venture capital, because it would just be banking, right? <laughs> there would be no venture. It would just be capital. You have to make a bet. And I, I will say for most of my life, I started my career in space and I spent some time with NASA and I certainly am a big believer that commercial space is now upon us. But I don't think I could have said that 24 months ago. I could have said, I have a hunch it's coming. I think we all had a hunch a few years ago that things were starting to materialize that would make commercial space a real thing finally. And I'm sure people in 1969 felt the same way seeing people walk on the moon. The difference is, in 1969, there weren't commercial companies putting things in space. There were just governments, and there were only a couple. Now, launch is much more, it, it's much more, the innovation around launch has enabled the infrastructure that's missing to be a real issue now. <laughs> Before, the infrastructure was missing, and we would all look at it and scratch our head and say, okay, there's infrastructure missing. Now, we have real worries. We don't understand so much that we should. We should know today orbital carrying capacity for every orbital kind of, to, to overuse that metaphor. We should understand where all the things are that are circling space and what the risk is to the other things that those things could impact. We should understand the material properties of all the things that are in orbit around Earth. We should understand the astrodynamics of all of those objects accurately. 
we should be able to track them persistently and pervasively, not just sense them, but we should really be able to monitor them. We should know how to get between point A and point B in space with actually like absolute certainty. We should be able to do all of the services that those companies are now just getting started. You can see the spark and you've never seen that spark before. We've never seen so many companies going after space infrastructure that the happy news is that they're not all focused on mining space. They're not all focused on mining asteroids or mining the moon. They're focused on providing value to planet Earth. So I, I guess to answer the question a little bit better, I, I think my hope is that what we have just seen is that this trend is not going to reverse itself. The only thing that can slow this down is our people supporting governments that make war in space. That's the biggest risk. Because if we have a real conflict in space, holy cow, now we've got a timeout on the commercial space race. Because we certainly will see everyone shift their focus back towards war fighting and all the other things in space that are not the things that I, I really want to talk about. And I don't think anybody really wants to talk about those things. That's not why most of us got into looking at the stars one and, and imagining a beautiful world in space. If we run that program, if we end up with governments that decide that they want to fight over territory in space, we have, as a human race, completely failed. So that's the negative. I think the positive is all of these services and all of these opportunities have wonderful, brilliant, innovative young companies going after solving these. And they're not the traditional defense contractors. They're not the biggest entities that have typically fueled the war machine. They're younger companies with people thinking very innovatively, thinking very freely and very openly about the good of space and the opportunity that can be to improve life on Earth. And that's a unique time, and it could have never happened before. So I'm, I'm really thrilled that we get to be a small piece of it. And I, I'm also equally thrilled that our partner network at Privateer, as we roll out this platform, has the opportunity to share infrastructure. We shouldn't have a commercial space race in terms of putting more assets in space. We should be partnering wherever possible to share those assets and those resources to improve life on Earth. This was a big reason why Waz and, and Moribel and I felt so compelled to start Privateer in 2021 more than any other time, because we've certainly been talking about it for a long time. It was that the stars finally aligned, so to speak, and the time and the opportunity came into view and we said, okay, now how do we do that while being great space citizens? How do we finally enable this new economy with a platform, but with a platform that brings things to the party? Because otherwise you, you don't have developers. You have other companies trying to duplicate efforts to go into competition with each other. And I think most people would be very surprised that in the, the space industry, we all know each other. It's a small community. And as a result, what you're finding is not people who are truly competitors. We're more kind of cooperators. Even those companies that look like they should be direct competitors. You, you see this with like Elon recently complimenting Astra on their first orbital flight. We see this in, in our space with other SSA and SDA companies and cleanup companies that we are partnered with, where we all acknowledge maybe 10 years from now, if we all do something right, we'll end up as actual competitors. But for the foreseeable future, we have to enable that wonderful space future so that that can happen. There's no reason to go to war with companies that we're all friends, realistically. And I think this is true in space by and large. It's the governments on the ground and the politics that create the problems. It's not the people going to space. As a good old saying goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And yeah. I think it never has more relevance than for space.
My last question to you, and I'm very grateful for all this time you, you give me here. What to watch out this year in space? I think it's all about conflict resolution and good people trying to do good things for the betterment of space, because we must improve and define the International Space Treaty, and we must select a governing body that can truly enforce it. And that needs to be international, politically agnostic, more than bipartisan. It has to be politically agnostic, and it has to be truly for the betterment of mankind as its mission, because we have an International Space Treaty. But we estimate that maybe 40% of those entities that have signed it have violated it. What do we do? We don't want to be traffic cops in space. I don't think anyone wants that. But we have to create laws and policies that are enforceable by good people and that hold people to account when those things don't work or when something is either intentionally violated or oftentimes unintentionally violated. What do we do? And we have to use that as a bridge to create cleanup laws in space so we know what to do when someone is not able to follow the treaty. If you can't deorbit your technology, what then? Who pays to do it? How do we do it? How do we work together to clean it up? Because the perception is that space is this very big place, but these orbital highways are already quite congested for the busiest of them. Some of them to the point where the carrying capacity has gone negative because of how we can track it or how we can't track it. So I think we have to really focus on these near-term problems that are the foundational elements for everything else we do in space and agree as a human race that these are things we value and these are this is the bar we're going to set for the future of humanity going to space. And that needs to apply to people and governments equally because right now those rules do not apply equally to commercial companies and to governments, whether state or nation-state. They really need to apply across the board fairly. If we don't want people putting weapons in space, no one should put any weapons in space. If we don't want people putting nuclear-powered things in space, no one should put any nuclear-powered things in space. We should agree or disagree on these constructs. I'm not trying to assert a position. I'm just saying we need to agree on what the foundational elements are. Because the existing International Space Treaty, not only is there no real governing body, and certainly the work the United Nations and others have done here, they, they don't have the teeth. They don't have the ability to do enforcement action. So we need enforcement action, and we also need, this is one area where, as you said, funding is never really an issue when it comes to commercial development. Funding's always an issue when something looks like a nonprofit. And in terms of this, no one pays a space tax. Not really. We pay regulators for regulated things, right? Frequencies or launch windows or whatever. But we need to now start thinking about a construct that a couple of pennies per thing go into a cookie jar that fuel an organization that we all agree can police us. Mm -hmm. because this is totally missing today. And, and I don't think we can sustainably and safely scale space without acknowledging that the governing body must be neutrally and mutually funded so that it can remain agnostic and enforce good things in space with good people. And if we can start to solve that in 2022, that would be a major win. That's okay. one of those underlying things that's good for all of us. I can tell that we at Global are all in for that. Definitely. Alex, thank you very, very much. Torsten, thank you. It's been really a privilege and an honor to, to get to do this and genuinely very, very grateful. So thank you for making Thanks. the time to do this. And also just thank you for the perspective because there is this gap between what people consider the mainstream media and the real problems in space and the real opportunities. And sometimes it's just as important to ask the right question. You have a wonderful habit of always asking the right question. Thank so, you very thank much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you want to stay on the pulse of space, 
visit our website, our mothership at spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. But of course, don't forget to become a Space Watcher. I'm Thorsten Kreening, CEO and publisher of spacewatch.global, your independent perspective of space.